0: Hello and welcome to the American Government and Civics Midterm Review. So this is for the study guide that you received in class on Monday. And it's digitally, it's on there. Uh, It was a Google slide. It was a PowerPoint. There was all kinds of ways for you to to do this and work on it. Uh, So have that out and ready to go as you listen, because I'm going to go through and uh, answer these questions and talk about some of the stuff. Uh, A little more than others. okay. Uh, but I think if you will study this and prepare for it, you should be in pretty good shape for your midterm. Now, remember for the midterm, uh, you know, an honors credit. If you want that to go for that honors credit, you do have to have an 85 in the class at the end of the semester. You have to have made an 85 on the midterm and you got to get an 85 on the final exam. So those are the the kind of the three requirements uh, that we're we're shooting for, aiming for, uh, for that honors credit righty. So uh, here we go. So the first question said, what is the main purpose of the First Amendment? So remember, there are five freedoms within the First Amendment. People get the first three, but people sometimes struggle with the last two. So there's freedom of speech, freedom of press and freedom of religion. Those are the three that people get all the time. The other two is the right to assemble and the right to petition. All right. And so, uh, all those are protected. And, and at the end of the day, the big thing about these things is all those things are going to protect you. All right. And your civil liberties. So the, the government can't take that away. Okay. They can't take away your right to free speech. Now there are some limits on what you can say, obviously, but for the most part, you're pretty free there. Same thing with religion. For the most part, you can worship how you want to, right? Uh, just can't do a couple things there. You can't do some illegal stuff. Um, uh, so you can't do that kind of stuff. Uh, Freedom of the press, the press can, can write what they want to for the most part. There's just a few things they can't do, your national security issues and, and uh, you know, items like that. Uh, your right to petition, you know, that means that you're going to, uh, I don't know if you, I get emails all the time now from change.org um, trying to get me to sign petitions to all kinds of stuff. That's, uh, I made a mistake one time and I signed a petition that said we should bring the DH to the National League. I'm a baseball guy and uh, I I, I signed that one time because I felt strongly about it. And now I get emails all the time from them asking me to sign all kinds of different petitions. And it's annoying. I need to, I need to opt out, but I just never think about it because I just delete so quick. Anyway. So, uh, so you can sign that kind of stuff and it can go to the government and and you can sign whatever. And the government can't, you know, retaliate against you. And then assemble, you're allowed to assemble. All right. Um, You know, as long as it's peaceful, that's the key thing. And I know we've had a lot of, Assemblies this, this summer uh, and even into this fall happening. Um, and, you know, the, the key thing is there when the when the police are dis- dispersing the people, uh, it, it typically is because something has happened and, you know, something, some kind of violence has uh, happened uh, or they've gone from peaceful protest to a little more violent or whatever it might be. OK, you know, obviously, I don't have all the details. I'm just telling you what 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 probably happened. OK, uh, and why in theory, the police would be able to disperse the crowds. All right. But anyways, the bottom line is you can guarantee your basic civil liberties. All right. The structure of the government of the United States allows for the legislative branch to write laws, the executive branch to enforce laws, and the judicial branch to interpret laws. Jointly, what is this process called? So all that stuff is a separation of powers. And remember, this is from Baron Montesquieu. <clears throat> he believed and wrote about the fact that we don't want to have one person one branch of government with all those powers. So we don't want to have one person that can write the laws, enforce the laws, and judge the laws, or interpret the laws. So that's why we separate them out. Taxes may be levied on U.S. citizens by both the federal and state governments. This is known as what? And that is a concurrent power. So when both the the state and the federal government can do something to us, that is a concurrent power. Unfortunately, both can tax us. Here in Georgia, if you're working, you're paying a federal income tax, and you're paying a state income tax. Some states don't do it, but we do the Federalist Papers were written to encourage what? Uh, the ratification of the Constitution. You know, a lot of times U.S. history makes it seem like the Constitution was just written and then we adopted it and here we go. But there was a lot of debate, a lot of issues between the Federalists and the Anti Federalists. So the people that wanted it, the Federalists, and the Anti Federalists, those who did not. They wanted the strong state governments and that's what they preferred. And um, so there was a lot of back and forth. All right. Debate about the Constitution and the Federalist Papers were those 85 or so essays that are written by John uh, Jay James Madison and Alexander Hamilton. And if you've seen the, the play Hamilton, you know that Alexander Hamilton wrote a, most of them. OK, the guy just wrote, wrote, wrote. I think mean, there's a song about it. I'm not sure. But anyways. Um, so it was all about getting the Constitution ratified. This is why we should have the Constitution. This is in support of the Constitution. What are the qualifications to be a senator and then a House of Reps? person. So a Senator, you got to be 30 years old. So y'all are about 12 years away. You have to have been a citizen for nine years and you have to live in the state you want to run in. Okay. So you can't be from Florida or live in Florida and run for uh, the Senate seat here in Georgia. To be a House member, you got to be 25 years old. Sorry. I lost my train of thought there. I was going to say something about you. So you're like seven years away. That's what I was trying to do. Anyways, I've been a citizen for seven years, and then you have to live in the state you want to run it. Now, there's no requirement for you to live in the district, which is what the House is made up of, is districts. Georgia has 14 of them. Uh, It does not say you have to live in the district, although it is smart to be from the district that you're from, wanting to run it. What's the main purpose of a congressional committee? Well, that's where you do all the work on bills. Okay, so congressional committee, their main goal, their main job is to work on all the bills that gets introduced. This is where they will work on them. They will make changes to them. uh, And eventually they will vote on them and send them to the floor of the House and the Senate for the the official votes. What does a lobbyist do? They try to influence government policies. They work for typically for interest groups and big businesses and, and groups like that. And they will go to congressmen. So let's say there's a gun control bill out there. All right, the NRA will hire their lobbyists or have their lobbyists go talk to congressmen that are going to be working on that bill and be like, we don't like it. You need to kill it, you need to make changes to it, or we do like it, we want you to push it through. And so they'll try and convince those congressmen on those specific committees, hey, this is what you need to do. When a bill is researched, written, and edited, this work is done where? In a committee. We've already kind of talked about that. So the committees is where all that stuff happens. I could write up a bill, give it to my congressman, and they like, This is good. And they can introduce it to Congress. Okay, introduce it to the House or the Senate. Once they introduce my bill, let's say uh, I want to the school week's too long. Five days is too long to be in school. I've written up a bill that proposes we go to school two days a week. Okay, and my my Congress like this is good. I'm gonna introduce it, and so they introduce the bill. It's now let's say House Bill One. All right. it goes to the Education Committee, and they're like, this sucks. We're going to change it to six days a week. People got to go to school. They can make those kind of changes. But that's where they do. That's where they work on the bills, where they'll research them and make changes to them and eventually vote on them. What completes the sequence of events? House of reps passes a spending bill. Senate debates the spending bill. Senate passes the spending bill. So once all that's done, the president then has to act on the bill. So if both the House passes it and once the House passes, it goes to the Senate. They go through their little process. If they pass it and it's the same bill, it then goes to the president who then either has to sign it or veto it. He can't let it sit. You know, there's some other options for him. But for the most part, he's usually going to either sign it or veto. If a president rejects a bill, a veto, uh, a two thirds vote of each House of Congress is required to do what? And that is to... Pass the bill over the veto of the president. So if the president vetoes it, Congress can override that veto. Uh, typically, if the president is popular, they will not override vetoes. If the president is unpopular, they're more likely to or more willing to override vetoes. The legislative branch has the ability to veto, override, reject presidential nominations for federal judges and impeach and remove the president. This is known as the legislative branches, and that's checks. Remember, we've got checks and balances. Not to be confused with the separation of powers, uh, but the checks on the executive branch. So, uh, you know, right now, Trump has nominated uh, Amy Cohen Baird, I think is her name, for Supreme Court justice. The Senate could is either going to confirm or deny that that uh, that appointment. All right. If Trump was to sign a treaty, the Senate would get to do that. Uh, The impeachment process is a check on the president. So all those things are checks that the legislative branch has on the executive branch. At the Constitutional Convention, the Great Compromise helped settle a major dispute. What was that major dispute? Uh, So remember, this was between two plans. You had the Virginia plan, which called for representation based on population. So the larger you were, the more people you had, the more people you would have in the In the Congress, okay, versus the New Jersey plan, which is going to be about uh, equality. So everybody has the same amount. And eventually they're going to say, let's just combine the two. And they created a two house legislature. So that's why we have the house based on population and we have the Senate based on equality. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if we get to later into the three fifths compromise with that dealt with slavery. All right. So I think we get into that later. If not, just so you remember. the South wanted slaves to count for representation purposes, not for taxes. The North wanted them to count for tax purposes, but not for representation purposes. And so they met, them, I say in the middle, but they met and they said, well, we're going to count three fifths. At the Constitutional Convention, the Virginia plan granted more power to states with larger populations. We just said that and when we talked about the Great Compromise. So the Virginia plan is going to give power to the states with large populations. So back then, think about the. Um, What you call it, the Virginia's, the Pennsylvania's, the New York's, the places with big populations versus the small states, Delaware, Rhode Island, Connecticut, places like that. What happens after a bill is introduced in the legislative branch? uh, It is sent to a committee. And that's once again, the committee is going to spend some time with that. They're going to research it. They're going to read through it. They might have hearings where they bring in experts Remember, lobbyists can come in and talk to them, possibly uh, experts from the field. So my education bill, maybe they bring in teachers, maybe they bring in administrators, maybe they bring in parents, people, you know, all the shareholders of the school. And they ask them, you know, ask for our their input about what do you think of this two day school week and and things like that? Uh, Let's see. What are the powers denied to state governments? Those are uh, the ones that are expressed in the Constitution as national powers. So the express powers of the national government. So think about things like declaring war, uh, printing and coining money. You know, states can't do that kind of stuff. That's only the national government. What are implied powers? Well, those are powers that are not specifically stated in the Constitution. So. You know, the Commerce Clause, it says that Congress is the only one that can deal with interstate commerce. And so they've expanded that to mean a lot of different things. It doesn't say they can create a bank in the United States, but they created a bank of the United States back in the 1800s. All right. So that's an implied power. Uh, so things that aren't specifically stated in the Constitution, but that the, the Congress and, and the federal government does anyways. What are the powers of the legislative branch? Well, they write laws. That's their big thing. That is the thing they do. Uh, they also have oversight. Over, you know, some of the, the areas of our, our government, you know, the bureaucracy and the, the president, they have an oversight to an extent. But the main thing they're going to do is they're going to write legislation, a government that has only a small number of people in power is called a oligarchy. right? And that's spelled O-L-I-G-A-R-C-H-Y. I couldn't spell it. I you know, didn't have it in front of me, but an oligarchy. So that's where a small group of people uh, run the show. Who was the day-to-day leader of the Senate? That is the pro, president pro tempore. Now, don't forget the actual president of the Senate is the vice president, but he never shows up. All right. He's never there. He's only there when there is a tie in the Senate. When it's 50-50, the vice president will show up to vote. It doesn't happen very often. It did happen with one of, the, one of Trump's nominations for, I think, the secretary of education back in 2017. There was a tie 50-50 and Mike Pence had to go in and break the tie. But. Usually he's not there. The person that's kind of the figurehead is the president pro tempore, but the Senate is really run by the majority leaders who assist the speaker of the house when they want to make sure that members of their party vote with them. That is going to be the majority whip. Okay. So that is going to be the majority whip. Uh, They will go around and talk to the the individuals that uh, are voting the house members, the Senate members and be like, how are you going to vote? And if you're, you know, thinking about voting against the the party, then they're going to have some questions for you and they're going to want to know why, and they're going to know, you know, well, well, why, what are you doing? And they're going to try and convince you, whip you into shape. All right. Uh, what's a political action committee. So political action committees, you might see it as a PAC, a PAC. This is a way around some of the campaign restrictions that the government has put on the money. So you have money, uh, you, you're limited to how much you can donate. And so are businesses and interest groups and all those kinds of things. So a lot of people, not me, but a lot of people have more money than what they're allowed to donate. So instead of me donating my money and then saying, well, you know what? I'm going to keep the rest. I want to give more to this person, this candidate or more to this party. So I'll give it my max and then I'll give some more money to this political action committee. It's just a group. It's just a a. Kind of a shell company almost, who they'll take your money and then they'll turn around and just work around the restrictions. So that's all a PAC is. All right. So don't don't get freaked out about it uh, and think it's more. Think of it as more than anything, but it's just a a way for me to give more money to the candidates that I want to give to. What does the term enumerated powers mean? Well, that's powers that are given to the federal government. So those are just all that is. If you see that, is just powers that are Designated to the federal government in the Constitution. Uh, What are the limits on re-election for the members of the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate? There are none, remember. Okay, Uh, there are no term limits for these people. They can run as many times as they want to. There are some really old people in Congress uh, that have run many, many times and won many, many times. Uh, And the argument against term limits is: if you don't want these people in there, if they're not doing a good job, then vote them out. And so just that's that's the argument against term limits while we haven't had term limits before. If you believe in a strict interpretation of the Constitution, why would you have a concern with the elastic clause? Right. So remember, the the elastic clause allows Congress to stretch their powers and go kind of outside of what is specifically listed in the Constitution. But if you're a strict constructionist, someone who, hey, it's got to say it in the Constitution, then you see Congress kind of reading outside the lines here. That's not a good thing. So uh, that's why you would be you know, against the elastic clause if you're a strict constructionist, a strict interpretation of the Constitution. What is the main reason for the United States Bill of Rights? Well, to protect our rights and liberties. So to protect individual people's civil liberties, basically. All those things that are there, the stuff we talked about in the openings part about the speech and press and religion, uh, your right to no unlawful search and seizure, your right to a lawyer, all those kinds of things. Um, All that is to protect you and your civil rights, your civil liberties, excuse me. Uh, What form of government has the most amount of citizen participation? That's the democracy. Because we go out there and vote, go out and vote. If you haven't done so, go out and register. Uh, Monday was the last day to get registered for this election, but you can always vote in the 2022 election. A government consists of a single self-appointed ruler who holds political control over an entire country and has the least amount of citizen participation. That is known as an... Autocracy, okay, and that's A-U-T-O-C-R-A-C-Y, so an autocracy. That's where there's one person, really, who holds all the political power. The type of attachment that members of Congress often assign to a bill that might not otherwise stand a chance of passing on their own as a law, oftentimes uh, the two things are unrelated. That's called a rider, okay? So my education bill that I had written up and was now in Congress, um, maybe there is a piece of legislation about spending on... A study for do pine needles hurt? I don't know. I'm looking out the window and I see pine needles out there. I don't know. Okay, something that is never going to pass, right? Who needs to study that? We know if you touch the end of it, it pokes you a little bit and it could hurt. Uh, But anyway,s they want to they want to spend some money on this, and so maybe they attach that rider to my education bill. All right. So that's what that is. When a senator wants to delay voting on a bill, they may find controversial or otherwise objectionable. What is this called? That's a filibuster. Remember, that's a Senate thing only. Okay, so the Senate is the only people uh, that can do a filibuster. The House cannot. And a filibuster is to delay action on the bill. You're not you can't actually kill it. okay? Uh, because eventually you're probably going to have to vote on something unless it's there's some time frame stuff in there. But for the most part, if you start filibustering, you're probably going to just be looking to talk stuff to death. Um, and what that means is you're not actually killing it, but you're trying to delay action on other bills. You're trying to make it uncomfortable for other senators who want to get other legislation and other Senate business done by just harping on this one topic. OK. And remember, they can be ended by a cloture vote. So the cloture vote ends all debate. What is the most important position in the House of Representatives? I would argue in the whole Congress itself is the Speaker of the House. OK. Uh, The Speaker of the House right now is Nancy Pelosi, and she runs the House. She's from the Democratic Party. The Democrats run this party, that House right now. Uh, The Republicans had done it prior to this. okay? Uh, but they get to make a lot of great, a lot of big decisions. Uh, They can put you on committees. Uh, They can uh, schedule bills. They work with the Rules Committee to schedule the the time for debate uh, and, and all the bills moving forward and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, What is the name of the individual overseeing the Senate? According to the Constitution, we already talked about this It's the vice president. So I'm not going to spend any time there. On the back of your study guide, there were a few um, visuals. So you have the examples of concurrent powers, state powers and national powers. So you can go and take a look at all those. I'm not going to read through them uh, in this podcast. Because uh, you can take a look at them yourself, but it, it lists the things the national government can do. Some of them we said and I, I said the national government can coin money. They're the only ones concurrent powers. We use taxes as an example. That's the first thing there. Okay, some of the state powers yeah, they get to establish public schools. There isn't there's not a federal public school out there, right? It's all state and local. All right, and then the other visual, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, some of the checks and balances. Uh, that we've talked about so just take a look at that and see some of the different checks and balances that are out there All right guys, if you have questions, you can contact me through remind you can contact me through email all that stuff is on my e-class page uh, Feel free to ask questions. This test is on Wednesday October 7th the day before we go on fall break So be sure you get to take care of so you don't have to worry about anything over fall break and when we come back We will get started on our next unit uh, and also get started on uh the the grind toward the end of the semester so be sure you're catching up on any work you're missing uh getting stuff turned in and just taking care of your business all right guys if you have questions let me know and i'll see you in class bye guys later